When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another Mad Scientist Roundtable. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Cogswell, and I am joined by... Marie Mayhew. Woo! Woo! What's up, 24-hour party people? What's up? So, we actually have something kind of big in store for you guys. Well, we hope it'll be big. We're plan- We're planning on... Huge. It's it's huge Honestly, and luxurious. It's, it's become a huge and luxurious, uh, like, it's become such a big thing in my life even to, like, like, it's every, okay, let, let's get, let's get to this first. This is too cryptic. Huge! We are, we are thinking of doing a multi, a, a multi-part and kind of, like, long-term series. We don't even know how many episodes it'll be, but. We want to we want to really dig in deep on a certain topic, and so the first topic that we've kind of thought might be interesting are uh, UFOs, and specifically UFOs in the area of the world where I am located right now, in Chris's backyard. Literally, literally in my backyard. So um, I don't literally. I don't mean that figuratively. Literally, there was a sighting in my backyard like fifty years ago. That we've uh, only recently come to learn about. So, anyways, um, so we're we're in the beginning stages of that. And so, if you think that would be of interest to you, please contact us and tell us. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work. So I think we're at least going to put out two episodes on it at this point. Yeah, we yeah. both we both have paid money to order books at least. So at least we're going to get one or two episodes out of this thing, okay? And if Amazon's getting my money, I'm talking about it. I'm telling you, but. But it's going to be interesting. So it'll kind of be a mix between it'll be Marie and I. So kind of round table E, but more serious, more directed towards a single thing. Anyways, one question that's very interesting when you ask people, have you seen a UFO or do you believe in UFOs or whatever is I kind of feel like you get, you get sort of a mixed emotion or kind of a mixed feeling. So you get some people who say, you know, yes, I believe fully. You got some people who immediately are like, I believe, I saw one, whatever. I saw one, and here's what it looked like, and I can tell you the time of day. Exactly. Yes. You always get some, you know, I feel like in any group of, I feel like if people dug more, they would find that they, I feel like almost everyone at least knows someone who claims they've seen a UFO. Yes. You know? I, I'm married to that person. Right. Like, I, like I think it's pretty, um, I think it's pretty, it's pretty common, you know? But- yeah, or or at least people who have seen things that they can't explain. I, I think, and I think part of that is in, it's interesting. It comes with this argument, like, so when I was a kid, um, I used to if I kind of stayed awake too long at night, I would see points of light kind of like flash in front of my eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And Orbs. I've com- well, and I've come to find out that that's actually a very common, um. It's actually a very common effect. It's kind of like, you know, when you rub your eyes and you see, like, yes. the TV thing? Lights of stars, yep. It's mm-hmm. basically the same thing, but it's happening in, in darkness. And it it happens because of a defect in the eye, basically. Um, 
And so, like, in people with, with eyeglasses, it's, like, really common, actually, to see these things at, at night or whatever. So, when I was a kid, though, I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? It's orbs, the assholes yeah. of the UFO universe. But it's actually yes. just, like, super common. So, I feel like if we if we were more truthful with each other about our experience, like, our literal experiences, probably everyone has seen something weird, you know what I mean? Um, or something scary, yes. at least. Some kind of scary experience. Something that gave them pause. Yes, yeah. I would agree. So I would agree with you. Anyways, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think that the interesting thing that comes up when we're talking about this is the idea of belief and what makes somebody believe versus what makes somebody not believe and right. how how vested are you one way or the other. And if you do believe, how vested are you in that belief even versus somebody who has a similar belief than you? Well, the other thing so, that I, yeah. the other part of it that I find really fascinating is, is we, you often hear, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to dis, you know, dismarch anyone's beliefs or anything. That's my but, job. <laughs> right. Marie, Marie is the, Marie is the muscle. Um, I'm the besmircher. The besmircher. Um, you often hear the, the argument like, you know, well, it's harmless. You know, yeah, grandma believes in ghosts, but. Whatever. You know, it's grandma. It's, it's, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, she's from the old country. Whatever. Right. What? Is it harmless? That's the question I find the most fascinating with these beliefs. Not whether or not they're true. Or, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of mixed in with the truth of it or not, right? Mm-hmm. Where if it's untrue, is it... If it is untrue, is it morally all right for someone to believe something that's untrue? In the absence of evidence. Yes, which actually opens up to a much huger question of faith. Because right. That's really what you're that's really what the argument is, is if you have no evidence of something and yet you believe it to the point that it affects your life and it affects you on a daily basis and it affects the decisions that you make, how you treat people and how you view the world, how is that any different than Right. And so in, 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 well, I think for many people, the assumption is that if what you're believing causes you to do good things, then it is moral. Right? Depending on your definition of good, yes. Yeah, right. I mean, yes. like, okay, we're not talking like, impl- I mean, this is, this gets into the whole like selfish, selfish motive. I mean, people make that argument all the time, right? If the only reason you're being good is because you're going to heaven or hell, are you right. really good? Right? Yes, or so you can tell your neighbors. You're exactly. driving the Prius to save the world. Right. Yes. Are you really being good then? But the, I think, besides that utilitarian argument or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I think it is really interesting, at what point does a false belief become become a moral? Right. So I'm so I'm thinking even in terms of like politics or in terms of um, mm-hmm. like racism. Right. Mm-hmm. In many ways, racism is and I'm not again. We're not conflating racism with the belief in UFOs unless unless you are saying that like, you know, little green men or grays or whatever the hell shouldn't have the same rights as humans. Right. That's not cool, man. Yes. Or some other alien race. Then, hey, fuck you. That's not, wrong. Not cool. OK. Not cool. Not, not cool. cool. But I think it is really interesting at the point like like I think I think what you said is really valid. If it affects your life. Mm-hmm. If it affects other people, then it becomes moral or immoral. But. I often wonder, like, 
like people that don't believe in global warming. Mm-hmm. That, in my view, isn't a moral belief. It is hurting yes. us. It is hurting everyone to pretend yes. like global warming isn't happening. But I would argue, too, that you could now prove there is scientific evidence that global warming is happening and it is caused by us, right? I mean, there is there is actual proof out there. So I would say it's, yes, it is definitely... I agree with you, immoral to believe that, but there's also evidence saying that we're fucking it up as well. Right. So you can't, so if you decide to turn your back on both of those things, then it's, it's, yeah, you're doubling down on being a complete See, asshole. But, but that's the thing though, right? But one could argue that, but that gets into the whole question of like quality of evidence, right? Like one could argue that like all of these people saying that they've seen UFOs, mm-hmm. right? Um, all these people saying it is evidence. That they are experiencing something. So don't we have a moral responsibility to find out what that something is? It's like I would never I would not have counted their recounting as evidence. But you're right. That is. That is a form of evidence. Right. It is like eyewitness testimony is is insofar as evidence is probably not Yeah. It gets into a gray area, but it just leads to a lot of in interesting different question and especially fitting in with the story of the stuff that's going down in your backyard then it you know i think it, it has a it has some some definite intrigue to it yeah I, anyways this is the kind of stuff i mean we're probably not going to get this heavy into it honestly this 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 piece got super heavy all of a sudden but like no, it's because I, you know i really want to besmirch somebody and i know just i'm sorry me. i'm sorry man it's so bad it's so bad on me yeah. like i just i just find it fascinating that's part of the whole like that's part of the whole thing for this this uh, show i guess is like can we separate a a true like some would argue that any belief without evidence is harmful because it means that you're denying reality, you can't be pragmatic about reality, whatever. But at the same time, if that reality is, or if that if that belief is making you do good things, right? Mm-hmm. If yeah, you're well, like, if your belief is that you should treat people better, I mean, listen, we're getting into like we're getting into like Kant territory here. Never mind. Never uh, mind, Marie. <laughs> besmirch you besmirch me besmirch you all right anyways uh, this so this episode we got a lot of weird stuff to talk about and it will be good though. i think it will be really I'm good i'm super excited too honestly we've found like i mean we've already gotten crazy shit really crazy shit <laughs> like shit. like crazy shit that hasn't been reported before too which is kind of interesting to me and um, we haven't even like set up any kind of scientific any beacons in chris's backyard to, to call done... to Honestly, all we've done is talk. We've asked people, have you ever experienced something weird? That's all we've done. Can we set um, something up like a landing strip in your backyard, though? Listen, some if, phosphorescence if, out there or something, if, that would be uh, awesome. If Bigelow's, <laughs> if Bigelow's experience is any indication, we're just going to waste a million dollars and not find shit. So I say we don't. And, and wet our pants the entire time. I'm telling you're you. you're actually there, that would be terrible. Okay, never mind. Bad fun. idea. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Roundtable, Episode 4! 
anyways, this episode. Yeah, this episode we have um we both we both so did you just see Doctor Strange? Like did you see it in theaters? So I have seen it a few times. Saw it in theaters oh, and then nice. rented it a couple of times. Yeah. I, I Besides being a uh Benedict Cumberbatch fan, <laughs> Sherlock, the voice of Smog, oh, the dragon. God. Right? Nailed that. That all, was like, good. All of a sudden, he became, like, super central to my nope. media consumption. But he was in uh, The Imitation Game. Which was which phenomenal. Was, phenomenal. Was really, really good. Super good, yeah. Super good. I just, like, the man can do no wrong, yeah, in my he's, opinion. He, no, I had, he's super I do have some. I have some beef that we can discuss about uh, about Doctor Strange. But, <laughs> but it, insofar as, like, the whole canon that is the Marvel Universe fucking awesome addition yeah i i've always really liked dr strange but i always so my favorite like my favorite dc comic superhero is was not even a superhero it's constantine it's john constantine yeah he's oh yeah the, oh yeah he's so fucking cool and like i remember i remember the first time i ever read him was in game was in neil gaiman's books of magic um, when he just kind of like appears out of nowhere, so yes. good, so good, and he just like comes out of nowhere. He's wearing the trench coat, he's smoking a cigarette, he's got this accent. I'm like, I was just like, oh my god, I gotta find out as much as I can about this guy, and um, I just have like never turned back basically. But um, he's awesome. Like I, I think between him and Preacher, yeah, those are like I feel like yeah. those two are in the same sort of cut from the same mold. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Like I, I just wish I always wished with Doctor Strange. That they took him as seriously as DC took Constantine, right? Like, like Constantine, like Constantine is a yeah. Constantine has the power to like fuck up Superman. You know what I mean? Yes. Just with magic, like with with Just trickery magic. and whatever, right? Um, yes. Whereas in the Marvel universe, Doctor Strange can be like, you know, his head can be ripped off by Hulk. And I've always just been kind of like, that's silly. Like, uh, he, he should be one of the most powerful people, but never. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think with Marvel, it's like, especially now how they're, you know, so we can talk about like when he was really introduced in the comics, but like yeah. now I feel like he's the first actual uh, magic yeah. that's being introduced to this universe. The first thing that is not supposed to be sort of logically bound by any set of known rules well see like it, or, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, i want i wonder though so like thor right yeah they're kind of it's i mean just i mean this is not a mm-hmm. movie podcast <laughs> but which it's well, too late we've evolved science no, we are going to talk about some science we're going to talk about the science behind it because it is very vested in science like all of marvel's stuff is really good with they, the science they I try think. they try pretty hard to I get try. it into science yeah the thing the thing that i think is really interesting with um with the whole magical thing with with Marvel, I was a little concerned with Thor because they it, it almost seemed like they were trying to make Thor's world like uh, fit in with the whole science side of it, right? Doctor Strange was yeah, like even yeah. even in the new even in like the new set you see like the set images from um, Thor Ragnarok or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like they're all wearing like techno suits of armor and stuff and it's like well that you know what i mean like he's literally supposed to be a norse god using magic he's a norse god i don't yeah like i don't i don't know if we really need them to be wearing like you know i don't know but um yeah 
but yeah, stuff I, made by Apple. No, yeah, I'm why, yeah. Why is but, why is Thor wearing any armor? He is a god. It doesn't. You know what I mean? But I I do find it really interesting. Like I yeah I I love Doctor Strange. I love that movie. I loved all the um. So the thing, the reason that we're talking about Doctor Strange, is that recently in the news or in the scientific news, um, a group has claimed to have formed a time crystal. <laughs> so, which is pretty interesting. Yes, and this so, is not going to lead to any good, you know. <laughs> it's not going to do any good. It's not, you know, there's gonna we're gonna have to find eight more of them. They're gonna be <laughs> rainbow colored. There's gonna be a big war. So, teed me. Heed my prediction, people. I'm telling you, keep an eye out. So here's the interesting. Here's the interesting thing with this, right? It's a time crystal. Is a time crystal has been thought of since um, like 2012, right? When um, Frank Wilczek at MIT, who was a Nobel laureate, um, came up with this idea of a. So if you think of the height width and breadth as the x y and z like space dimensions right so we live in the third dimension um or actually this i well yeah we live in the third dimension but we have access to a fourth dimension is the argument and the fourth dimension would be time right so you can place any event you can place any object within the four dimensions by saying for instance um you know, I'm at I'm at x equals one, y equals two, z equals zero. At time equals five seconds, right? That places time in that same kind of area, right? Or it it sets time kind of as a as another dimension of space. So, the idea of a time crystal is that you have some system that's not in equilibrium or or I don't want to, I don't really want to explain it this way with equilibrium or whatever. It's basically the idea that it's not symmetrical in time, but instead it's symmetrical or it's it's symmetrical in time, it's not symmetrical in space. Which is crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just it's hard to even imagine it. Like I just kept imagining a giant green crystal with an eye on it. So <laughs> you could wear around yeah. your neck. Keep so, going. Sorry. So the idea so the idea is that um the idea is that it the system would repeat in time. Okay. Yeah. So it has basically the the argument is like it it could be something like perpetual motion, right? So the pattern of this so if we think of a crystal, right? Uh-huh. A crystal is repetitive. A crystal by definition is repetitive in space. So that's why we have like um if you have, if you look up like the the salt crystal, right? What's the chemical formula for salt? It's NaCl, sodium mm-hmm. chloride. That small piece, sodium chloride, repeats in all three directions of of uh, of salt crystal, of a salt crystal. Mm-hmm. The argument here is that it would repeat in time in some way. So you'd see an event mm-hmm. happen at zero seconds, then in ten seconds, then in twenty seconds, then in thirty seconds. So it would keep repeating. Right. Uh, okay. So this system is basically in it's in symmetry in the sense that it's symmetrical over a period of time, as opposed to being symmetrical over a period of distance. Does that make sense? It does. Cool. Where does it get the energy to do this? Aha! So that's the thing, right? Right. 
if because it would if, need energy. So if this thing was really happening the way that they said, uh-huh. it would break every law of energy we know. It would break. It would break the laws of thermodynamics, right? Because, like you just said, you can't just have perpetual motion, right? The the, right. the argument. So the argument in physics is uh, this argument of entropy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's One it's what's known. Favorites. So entropy is a very interesting concept. It's quite annoying how often it's misused in the world. Which is probably by me. I'd it's be fine. It. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, my eyeball just pops out a little bit each time someone says something silly like, <laughs> "You know, man, entropy means that uh, like everything's changing all the time, bro." And it's like, "Shut up, man." <laughs> Go back to your pot, okay? Like, don't don't talk physics to me. Um, you hippie. You damn hippie. So, entropy, literally what entropy means is that in any process that, that happens, you will lose some energy so that you can't get from the way things were to the way things, like, so the best example of this is a piston, right? Mm-hmm. Or let's say a wheel. Let's say a wheel. You have a... Uh, you have a wheel on a car, and it takes some energy for the car to move five meters, let's say. Right. Right? Okay. What entropy says is that you couldn't put in, let's say it's 10, let's say it's 10, whatever, 10 joules of energy that you put in to move the car five meters. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you did that, you could not, in a real system, input 10 joules of energy back to the car to make it go backwards to its original position. Ah, yes. You couldn't. You couldn't. You could not. And the reason that you couldn't is because of things like friction. Oh, yeah. I've right? been using entropy wrong this entire time. That's all right. It's fine. It, it I've al- been the one giving you the aneurysm, man. <laughs> it, also does, it also does mean that things tend towards disorder, but that's like a really a – really, um, a much more complicated view. It means disorder at like the molecular level, not at like the level of, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So, not so at the we hippie be level. taking it out of our business PowerPoints is the other thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Please do that, Marie. You can start this from the inside. Uh, all right. That's fine. So entropy means the basic definition of entropy is that no system is reversible. No system is fully reversible in the universe. Right? Mm-hmm. Which basically states exactly no system can be perpetual in the universe. Because you always need an energy input yes. to go back to the original cycle. To go back, yes. Right? So, what these re- so the researchers who have recently said that they've made a time crystal mm-hmm. are um, is a group at Berkeley, the University of California, Berkeley, who basically, I mean, University of California, Berkeley invents everything. So Uh it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of hippies. I don't think these guys, (laughs) I don't think these guys would use entropy that way, though. Um, So it's, it's, uh, it's Norman Yao at all, basically. Um, So it's, so he was the person that put forward this proposal to make a time crystal potentially. And then that blueprint was kind of followed by um, a group um, of you know Monroe Christopher Monroe's group at the University of Maryland, um, mm-hmm. as well as a group led by um, Mikhail Lukin at Harvard. So they they were kind of working together, whatever. And so then, 
both of those experiments were now recently published in this March in Nature. So in that big journal, that's like really important. Mm -hmm. And so in general, what they did, and this is like a very simplified reading of it, is they input energy to a system using a laser. And then they only had to input that energy like periodically. But that system, that that system showed um, showed symmetry in time. So if they measured the state of that system over time, even after they got rid of the laser pulse, it would come back. And then it would kind of come back. And then it would come back. And eventually it would dissipate, but then they could shoot another another laser burst at it, basically. Huh. Uh-huh. But it wasn't perpetual. No, it wasn't it perpetual because they had to yeah. input energy. Right. Because, like, here's here's the thing. I don't know if people usually... I don't know if people usually, like, I don't know if, if everyday people think about why a perpetual motion machine wouldn't, or why, like, what would a, if we found a perpetual motion machine, what that would, what would that mean for the universe, right? No. We would have limitless energy. Because it doesn't yes. matter how small. Zero kind of input. Exactly. It, no it, more... it doesn't matter how oh, well. small the thing is, right? Right. Um, it would be perpetual, so we could just make a whole bunch of them and stick them together onto a battery or something, and it would work fine. Now, it's it kind of it wouldn't stop working. That's the only problem. So this is this is actually a very this is actually brings up a very interesting um, point in engineering. Do you can you guess, Marie, what the most difficult question chemical engineering graduate students have to answer? It's about entropy. It's about it's about a it's about a uh, Basically an engine, right? But it's an engine that I guarantee you've seen at joke and prank shops before. Oh, seriously? Like a buzzer? Like one of the hand buzzers? So, what, do you know of any, like, prank or, like, toy or, like, kind of like a, a, it's, it was on The Simpsons, I will say this, it was on The Simpsons. Very oh, famously on The Simpsons. Touch, this is always on The Simpsons. I know. Everything's been on The Simpsons. It was, it was okay. very famously on The Simpsons, and Simpsons it is... Simpsons is a perpetual motion machine. Think about, think, about, think about a machine that seemingly does something forever without any input from you. Oh, that was God. on The Simpsons. I have no idea. The you drinking bird toy. Oh! Snap. That's okay. That's what you. That's that's yes. your guys' big final. That that's is what you've been writing your thesis is, on. It is one of the hardest problems in chemical engineering. Okay, in physics, it is a impossibly difficult problem. Seriously? Okay. Yes, it is. Because think about it, right? This bird is as. Uh-huh. It, so we did it. We did one of these problems in class. Um, we've um, one of them. We've we did those problems like a billion times, frankly, in thermo. Um. One of those little birds, like like a you know four inches tall or whatever, can uh-huh. pump water from like forty feet underground. It's crazy how efficient those stupid birds are. For real, they're extremely efficient. The only thing, <laughs> the only thing moving that bird's like the engine. So the engine would be the bird standing upright. You dip uh-huh. it. The only thing you input is you push it down the first time, right? Right. Yeah. Its little head. Dips its beak in the water, uh-huh. right? So then the liquid that's inside the bird is ethyl alcohol. So it, it, it vaporizes, it boils at room temperature really easily. Uh-huh. So, okay, here's how it works, right? You dip it down. I'm, like, doing hand signals for Marie, by the way. Everyone, <laughs> we're like... Awesome. It's, Which translates in some serious good radio people. I'm telling you. 
phenomenal radio. This is like if we actually just described the the plot to a movie. This is horrible. Um, so the bur- everyone at home, I want you to follow along. Okay. Okay. You dip Close the your bu- eyes and visualize it. So at the beginning, the bird. The bird the- is actually going to be played. Yes. By Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, exactly. At the beginning, the bottom of the bird is filled with liquid ethyl alcohol. Okay. And there's some of it as a vapor in the top. But it's mostly liquid. Okay. You dip the bird down, and some of that vape, some of that liquid will flow to the head. Right. It's now in contact with the wet beak. The beak water will evaporate. Uh Right? So now so now it hits down. This part Uh fills up with this part fills up. It swings back just from the force. Okay. Yes. Now it's up here. The beak will start to evaporate water away. That takes energy out of the body, which causes Uh the vapor to boil, which then fills the head, causing it to tip over again. Son of a bitch. There is so little entropic. (laughs) There's so little losses from entropy in that stupid bird system. It's amazing. I would not be surprised if when an alien does land on Earth, we find out that they're powering their ship with a drinky bird. With tiny drinky birds? It's amazing. It's, it's truly birds. amazing. It's crazy. Anyway, so that's... So, so how, how does this relate to Doctor Strange, Marie? We're getting all over the place. Yeah, you told... Yeah, that one, that one sort of threw me. Sorry. So, no, that, no, 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 that's good. That's good. So, I don't... I, after reading Time Crystals, like I said, I immediately just sort of thought of the uh, Infinity Stones. Right. Because <laughs> really, if I get into anything too deep or too scientific, I've got to switch over to something in pop culture just <laughs> if I can. Just like I'm like that little bird. I just have to dip my head down. Oh, right. Okay, we're doing all right. Um, so I just started to think about the Infinity Stones, but there is a lot of actual... Well, maybe maybe not actual, but some pretty solid quasi-science within the idea with, that they put out for Doctor Strange. One yeah. being, I would say, besides his, you know, his pet cape <laughs> that they give him in the movie, <laughs> um, they talk about the idea of a multiverse. Yep. Which is huge in science fiction, relatively big in any good any good comic book worth its salt. Oh, of has course. some sort of a has some sort of an idea of a multiverse in it. They all have a damn multiverse. And that this. And this is definitely exploring the idea of the multiverse. So that I thought was pretty interesting. Did you? And know, does tie to science. So one of so the boom tied it to science. Nice. The main so, bird science. The main um, the main person who thought or who first postulated the multiple worlds hypothesis in quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. his son is now the lead of the eels. Which is Seriously? one of my favorite bands. Band. They're fucking crazy. awesome. He actually did a documentary on his dad and how it affected him growing up. Because his dad, his dad posited this thing as a, um, basically as a mathematical um, trick, almost. <laughs> like, a, like an easy way to get rid huh. of some of the difficult math that happens in quantum mechanics. Um, <laughs> so, like, you come to a point in quantum where... So, the... The, it basically has to do with, and I'm, I mean, it's been three years since I took a class on quantum mechanics, so maybe I'm going to totally botch this. Um, lazy. Telling you, lazy. Lazy, lazy motherfucker, um, man. 
the the whole reason that the multiverse comes up in quantum is that you come to a point where you get something called Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which is another one of those things that's always thrown around. And basically, what it is I is that one wrong as much as entropy, if not more. <laughs> basically, what it is is it it's um you can't simultaneously measure the position and the momentum of a quantum particle. So if you uh, me- so okay. if you if you were to if you could know the position of an electron at any given point in time uh-huh. you would have to not know its momentum. Ah, uh, and if you knew the momentum you couldn't measure it. You couldn't know the position, right? Okay. And the reason that this happens or or one of the interesting uh ways that this translates into how we describe quantum mechanics and quantum the quantum mm-hmm. world is mathematically so it's sort you know you know how you can have a function or you can have an equation that's like y equals two times x? Yes. In that function, if you know y, you simultaneously know x. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There are functions though where you can't separate variables like that. Uh, they're called This is no- where I this is where I failed at it. Keep it's going, fine. yes. It's fine. They're called <laughs> they're called um they're called nonlinear equations. Right. And so what it means is you can't you can't separate things so that if you know one thing, you know, the other, you need some other piece of information. Uh, OK. Right. OK. Yes. So. Um, so in quantum mechanics, every equation is like that, pretty much. <laughs> and the things that are linked that way are these coupled. Uh, they're called coupled variables. And they're things like position and momentum. And a uh-huh. spin number and, like, um, the spin, like, if it's spinning up or down the particle versus, like, it's something else. I Again, three years since quantum. Lazy. Lazy, Lazy motherfucker. Lazy. Um, but the, so the, so the multiple worlds hypothesis was given in mm-hmm. such a way that, well, what if instead of, like, what if instead of, okay, so we come to a point where we can't know them both simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Well, what if either option, like with spin, it, it's either up or down spin. Mm-hmm. What if mm-hmm. it could be both at once? Both at the same time, and right? We just say so, that the, you would need two universes for the things to exist. And we and just it would say have to that split. it kind of splits. And so then we can mm-hmm. solve the math in either one and see how it affects our system. Which could happen a multitude of different times. Yeah. So that's... So, Infinity. So that argument right? is much more sensible than what it came to mean, which was like... Every time you flip a coin, another universe is simultaneously created. You know what I mean? That's like how it came to be known. Still, still one of the best community episodes ever. <laughs> well, I, I love the, the one in darkest. What was it? The darkest? Oh, I can't remember what it was called now. I, dude, I, I love the, the darkest outcome. Oh, it's the darkest oh, outcome. Right. He's, he's missing an arm and he has a beard because <laughs> of the chainsaw accident. That's I, the best. I know it's not exactly accurate, but that's still pretty awesome. I I loved the one I loved the episode of what's it? Um I loved the episode of Futurama where they do that. Where it's like they go to the they go to the episode where um everyone's uh everyone's just one one uh what's it? <laughs> one coin flip off. So so the um the yeah, Hugh Everett the third is the person that came up with the multiple, the many worlds interpretation of quantum theory. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, 
so his so his son Mark Oliver Everett, also known as E, is the leader uh-huh. of the is the leader of uh, the Eels, the which Eels. is a fucking awesome band. Can you imagine having him for a dad though? I mean, hell yeah, you'd become a musician. Well, it's interesting. So it's, the documentary is really really cool because you don't you know like his dad after his work kind of got popular in like pop culture um mm-hmm. his dad like became an alcoholic because you know like the Shit. pressure the pressure was like, just too much you know what i mean yeah um like Im- imagine all of the love of einstein but turned the other way where people are suck. like no you're you're fucking stupid you know what i mean that would um, suck and but it, yeah how does so but I was watching – so, again, like, I, I watch – and this isn't even my real beef with um, with Doctor Strange. What I no. do – which I thought was really good. I did think it was really good. But you could see it play out. I, did, I, I don't think that it was – I saw it mostly at the very end. I don't want to spoil the film. But basically, you know, basically where Doctor Strange defeats the ultimate foe, I thought that that was – sort of the most appropriate use of something like that of some of the more the pulp culture reference oh, of yeah. dr strange yeah that was but it's like, so yeah that, that to me was was definitely it, it you know them all of a sudden being able to bend time and space and yeah. create a mirror universe was sort of like eh, you know all right it's 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 sort of trickery but it's not bad it wasn't right. bad like that to me was good yeah i love um, i love i think that's partially why i've always liked constantine better than mm-hmm. Doctor Strange is because he does like again we don't want to spoil the ending but like uses logic within yeah. a universe to kind of like you know the rules of this universe so you can yeah. use those yes. rules to your advantage to get an outcome you want exactly right? I think that, that I love that I thought that was phenomenal yeah I really like that the most the end was the most convincing part of it yeah now, the, the end was really good and we're back. And we're back. We actually had to cut short the recording last time because I did something that I have seriously, Marie, I'm not even kidding. I have docked people, I mean, over my lifetime, probably a thousand total points of test score for doing. You've cut off fingers. Which is getting, less, which is getting rid this. of, getting rid of my mathematical work <laughs> to answer a listener question. So, okay. Let's. Dude. I know it's bad. I feel bad. All my undergrads are at home listening to this, being like, or the ones that like me still, even though I took points away. They're um, they're like listening to this and being like, "Damn it, Chris!" And what all the other ones the are vindicated. They're everyone vindicated. Else, everyone else is. They're raising up in the streets with like pitchforks and uh, torches. So coming up. To so the que- locale. <laughs> the question that we are answering here is from a listener, Elizabeth Smith. Um, who I think I actually just sent a sticker to as well. So um, thank you very much. Um, How do you do, Elizabeth? Yeah, thank you question. very much. Excellent and if, question. And if I haven't sent you a sticker yet, please uh, send me your info and I will send you a sticker. Um, and that's that's what I think we're going to do from now on. When people ask questions, we'll send them stickers. Um, awesome stickers. I think everyone. Wait, do they glow in the dark? They don't glow in the dark yet. Oh, Marie. Next you're, time. <laughs> Marie's Next making, time. making checks my nope, ass can't are... cash. <laughs> These are these are the, going to be the vintage prototype round one, rare and hard to find. Stickers. I'm telling you, in one someday when we're valuable, 
famous or infamous, this will be a good thing. Okay, anyways. Yeah, we get that mad Netflix money. I'm telling you, yo. Mad <laughs> Netflix, hit us up. We got some ideas for shows. Mad Netflix, kasai. Honestly, okay. if, if we had, so I always talk about this. If we had, like, even if we just had, like, $1,000, um, which hopefully we will soon have $1,000 because I will have a job, maybe. Um, but, with, like, I would love to test the infrasound hypothesis of ghosts so hard. Even like, though Mythbusters did it? Be, well, Even though their stats reflected 25%. Right. So what I would yeah. like to do is, I, not even just infrasound, I would love to make basically like a, a confined space that no um no external force fields get into mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we could put in like ghost hunting equipment and stuff and like mm-hmm. okay we turn on mm-hmm. the you know whatever the microwave or whatever it is right mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. we would need some like i mean for me to like i if i really had my way we'd be able to do every type like we'd be able to do x-rays and stuff and whatever and see if that changes things um, but That'd I think, so like, cool. I think magnetic fields and, um, you know, even, like, um, even finding a way to generate infrasound or a slight magnetic charge in it, like, because it's not, it's not infrasound that that actually should be tested necessarily. That was one thing that always bothered me with that Mythbusters episode. Mm-hmm. It's not infrasound that makes you see ghosts. It's, 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 or it's not, like, makes you see ghosts, whatever. That makes mm-hmm. you feel scared in some theories, right? Right. What it what the argument that I find most interesting is is that if a sound wave frequency that's inaudible to you mm-hmm. but hits your body in such a way that your body has effects like is affected by it. So one of the most interesting ones is a sound wave that is at the right resonant frequency of your eyeball's liquid. It will actually it'll actually make your eyeball vibrate. And you will see, according to research, and this is oh, real there, research too. There goes, this there goes the dinner. Thank you. Sorry, Thank you, Chris. Thanks Sorry. for the liquid in my eyeball. Thanks for making me <laughs> visualize the liquid in my eyeball. Okay. All right. Vibrating. This okay. will vibrate, and then you will actually start to see, like, um, basically, when they've tested this on people, they see shadow people. Basically, oh, man. They, they see something behind them in their periphery. So I think that is the more interesting question, not like, do sound waves make you feel scared? Because that's kind of already been tested a billion times. The more interesting question to me is, is there like a range of vibrations that can be made in a home that would make you feel like, you know what I mean? But why couldn't you test this on on a small scale to start? No, no, uh, listen, I'm talking about making, yeah, like I'm talking about testing it on a small scale, like, um... Like I would, I would say we'd start with like something, you know, a desktop size, whatever thing. Yeah. That you just stick the ghost hunting equipment inside of and see what the raised, you know, see what the stuff does to it, whatever. Or like a helmet that the- just vibrates your jellies. <laughs> the trademark one. Ibu. Our yeah. Ghost yes, the Ibu. The trademark Ibu. Oh boy. Patent pending people. Patent pending. Back off. Anyways. Ibu. Okay, so, uh, so that's a huge tangent. The question that the listener had is from Elizabeth Smith. And she asked the following, quote, I have a question for the next roundtable. If, as the Bible says, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, can it truly flood the world covering all the landmass? And then she says, you know, she doesn't think it'll work mathematically, but she'd love the analysis of the team. So. Right, team. 
it's <laughs> again, it's 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 Chris and me being like, woo! You ask good questions. Sounds good. You ask good questions. Yeah. Okay, so I did some research here. Now, the first thing that's really interesting, the first thing that's really interesting to me, as anyone who does any, as anyone who's ever done any kind of thermodynamics or engineering or any sort of whatever, um, you know, last time even we talked about how energy can't be created or destroyed and neither can mass, right? So, um, so the amount of, the amount of water that's on the earth is cycling all the, you know, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, the interesting thing then is what sort of, like, what sort of event would cause this sort of thing to happen? So, for instance, what I'm saying, what I mean to say mm-hmm. is, um, mm-hmm. We actually can we can get a pretty good approximate guess of how much water there is on the earth at any given time. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so uh water actually does escape into space in in you know small amounts. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't look into that too much. So you're saying you'd have to have an exponential amount more introduced than already is cycling. What I'm saying is like um what I'm saying is like you would need no what i'm saying is that all the water that could cycle all the water that could be in the cycle is already here because it's a cycle it's a closed cycle in a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us whoa 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 cut oh come on it wasn't that bad it's a bit dramatic let's just tell them about the show guys we are the canned air podcast join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on CannedAirPodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. But, okay, so there's there's extenuating circumstances in this scenario in that it is a faith-based event that's introducing. of course, of course. The water. It's not like we're doing actual... It's not that it didn't happen. I'm just saying that there's, there's, there's more to it. Deus ex machina. Yeah. So this is the this is the idea, right? So here's here's uh, here's an answer. First off, so the first question we had is, if the Earth is a closed system, right? Um, well, first off, is the Earth a closed system? Is water evaporating to space? Okay. And this was actually answered on thenakedscientists.com. Um, which is a really cool, a really cool website. So I think everyone should check it out. So uh, they said uh, basically this exact question. They said we put this question to Luca Montalban, atmospheric, oceanic, and planetary physics department at Oxford University. And damn, son, um, that's quite a title. It's a great title, right? Damn, man. So, anyways, what they said, what they said was um, the retention of water vapor on our planet is favored by the fact that it can condense from clouds at an altitude well below the one from which water molecules can escape and precipitate back to the ground as rain or snow. So, to summarize, even if a few water molecules are continuously lost to space, the average level remains fairly constant over geological times, which is what we want. So the answer to that question, then, pretty much is no, 
not enough. It's a closed loop. Yeah, no, not enough yeah. water escapes into space to make a big difference. Show Doctor Montabon. Real talk. So, if if we then just look at the total amount of water on Earth at any given time. The total amount of water on Earth is 1,386,000,000 kilometers cubed of water. That's a lot of water. Now, 96.54% of that is in the ocean. So, let's assume that the ocean will stay ocean. Okay? How, Check. How deep would the water go above sea level if all the rest of it dropped as rain? Yeah. If it all dropped mm-hmm. as rain. So we're saying, so we're assuming no groundwater either. Like the soil isn't sucking in water at this point. Right. Right. It's all okay. just sitting right on top. Exactly. So if we do that, then we can just take the area of the earth, which is 196.9 million miles squared, which equals to 5.099 times 10 to the 14th power meters squared. And then I can do the volume of water divided by the surface area of the earth and get the height of the water. Basically, that would be everywhere. That we're going to have to build our ark to. So, what we found was that if you do that, it ends up being 94 meters of water above sea level. Which, like, isn't even enough to get to the top of Mount Everest. So, it's, like, El- like it's Elizabeth a lot. Elizabeth was right. So, Elizabeth, you are right. It pretty She's much, right. It pretty much wouldn't affect, so it wouldn't affect anything. But here's, see, but here's the thing, though, right? We are assuming that it's falling all on the earth at the same time. Like, um, we're not taking into account what, like, what happens to, the, like, on the surface of Mount Everest, what happens to the water that hits the side of Everest and then pools in the valley on the side of Everest? We're not taking that into account. So, likely, no. areas like, you know... Florida Sloppy and, work. I know. So so in other words, it would probably pool. There listen, there would be water damage. There would be significant water damage. People um, are going to get damp. It's going to be damp. So the other thing we did was like Marie said, um it is not a science-based really like idea. So let's assume that God can drop as much water as he or she wants at once. Yeah. So we kind of so first off we looked at rain averages to try to get how much rainwater is put on the earth at any given time or like how fast rain is known to actually go um cuz we're assuming that if god did this once he does it not well he doesn't do it all the time but you know god controls the flow of rain so let's just take yeah, it an average this is this is a special punitive occasion okay. like he's, they're not doing this when god's not doing this all the time he's a not whipping special, this stuff out all the time a special punitive occasion it is well, um, i mean it's like there's only one written course of event of the Great Flood, right? It's true. So, okay. So, uh, you know. So, um, so far, I mean, you know. So, first off, the highest rain average in a year is in um, Mount, uh, Mount Sirnam, Megalaha. Man, it's in India. <laughs> I, am, I have a lot of Indian friends listening to this that are at home shaking their heads right now. Um. And they're probably pissed because they've always shown their math. And they're like, I know, I know. Um, Okay. So, so this is in a, in a part of India that gets hit with monsoons all the time. And what they found or what the average there that was the highest ever was 467 inches of water in a single year. 
Now that averages out to 1.28 inches per day. That's not that's it's a lot of rain, but it's not it's not even close to the fastest rainfall ever calculated. The fastest rainfall ever calculated was in Holt, Missouri, where they got 12 inches of rain in 42 minutes. Another punitive act of okay. God on Missouri. Holt, Holt, Missouri, get your shit together, man. Okay. Seven, so that, that comes to 17 inches in a single hour. Good God. That's crazy. I would never have guessed if you, if you gave the, put an entire no. globe in front of me and said, find the fastest, I, I would have right? never been like, you know what? Missouri. I probably would have thought monsoon area, right? I monsoon probably would have area. thought like India. Maybe Hawaii? Yeah, like Maybe? I would have I would have thought someplace that has tropical storms regularly, yeah. not Missouri. Not that Missouri's not tropical. No, it's highly but it's tropical. not. Tropical. <laughs> so if we assume seventeen inches per hour of maximum rain rate, right? Then that means that we get um that means that we get in a forty day period, so forty days and forty nights. We get mm-hmm. 1,081.6 feet of rain. Oh, no, no, okay. Without any losses to soil, it's 1,360 feet of rain. Okay. With losses to the soil, which I did account for in this case, using a groundwater flow rate of one foot per day of groundwater, um, we get 1,081.6 feet of rain. Now, that is considerably more than 94 meters. Um, that ah. ends up being... So, <laughs> um, that ends up being 329 meters of rain. So, if we looked at it then... so And then the, the highest value, 1360 feet, which would be without rainwater loss, is 414 meters, approximately, like 415 meters of uh, rainwater. So that means that if it rained as hard as it did in Holt, Missouri for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, it, there would be almost uh, almost four times the amount of water on Earth, currently not in the ocean. Now, yeah, so, uh, yeah problematic. Yeah, so obviously, like, we don't know. Um, even for Holt, Missouri. Even, even for Holt, Holt, Missouri. Yeah, it'd be bad. So. I think we can pretty well say that, um, you know, yeah, there's <laughs> not a huge concern for this to be, you know what I mean, to be like a real issue. Um, you can actually, it's kind of interesting. You can look at the, um, you can look at a flood map of the United States, mm-hmm. and you can see where, uh, what would be the most like damaged areas. I guess you'd say, basically, like the entire coast. But interestingly, um. Pretty much all of, pretty much, yeah, pretty much the coast would be screwed. That's kind of it, almost. Like, it's <laughs> it's kind of sad. Like, a lot of, like, obviously, like, okay, New York City's de- gone. D.C. Yeah, is pretty much gone. Gone. Cali, Oregon, yeah, California gone. is mostly, mostly underwater. Gone. Um, there's a lot of mountains there, though, so a lot of it would be safe. But, uh, Florida. But yeah. I tell you who would get hit hard. Oh, Florida's dead florida's dead in that scenario yeah all of state they might survive this all of florida all of florida ends up in the water in that case like florida's all below 63 meters of uh, elevation i'll tell you who gets hit real hard though is south america it looks like gets hit 
It's a pretty hard by it's this. Hard. Now talk to me about Missouri. They're looking okay. Oh, Missouri's sitting pretty. <laughs> Missouri's got nothing to freaking worry about. See, it would become the new. That would sort of be the new mecca. Let me look. Actually, that's actually a really good question. Where the hell is yeah. Missouri on this map? <laughs> there it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Forget <laughs> about showing your map. All right. Finding Missouri. <laughs> We're Come good. On, man. We're okay. We're okay. Yeah, Missouri. Missouri would be. Uh, Missouri actually would be kind of. It's interesting. Missouri is a is like 133 meters on average, and then mm-hmm. higher. So Missouri should be okay, but parts of Missouri would be underwater probably, but little small amounts. So you're all right, Missouri. Good job. I'm telling you. Nice. Shout out. I've been. I was a little, you know, a little snarky to Missouri, and <laughs> that was just assholeish of me. Missouri, little, shout out. Little did you know. Little did I know, man. And it's true, though. It's true. Yeah. Because God knows they could probably deal with this stuff better than a coast. Oh, I'm telling you, they definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. Shit. Um. Give us like. So that it's like a, a sprinkling of rain out here, and we'll freak the fuck out. <laughs> Missouri has to deal with serious weather. <laughs> so that is, fine. that is the answer to the listener question. Nice. So thank you. Nice listener question. Thank you, Elizabeth Smith, for asking that cool question. That was pretty awesome. So we'll get and some uh, send send other questions, please, everyone. If if you vibrate your eyeball jelly really hard, Elizabeth, <laughs> the sticker glows in the dark. It's it true. glows in the dark. It's true. And all kinds of other weird stuff will happen, too. Good times. Ah, Cool. Excellent. All right, Marie, Heck. what do you got this week? So, knowing that our, that our brethren over at Astonishing Legends yes. was, uh, was starting to dig into kooky aeronautic events such, <laughs> as, um, such as Flight 19 right. over the Bermuda Triangle, right? Which yep. is where the... Like, what is it? Like, five planes disappear yeah. um, oh, and are and, never heard from again? And electronic fog, where, by the way, I do not like to set fires. <laughs> fires just sometimes must be set, okay? Like, that's just they the must. way they must be set for the... In the for, name of science. In the name of science. So, one time science we... demands. What was it? We were, we were looking at the Mary Celeste, right? Oh, yeah. And, excellent. Um... I was like, oh, I know how to do that experiment in, like, the backyard. Like, give me a couple minutes. And, and wait, s- set, say what it was, because people were like, what kind of okay. experiment? So the, so the Mary- get a boat out in the backyard? <laughs> so the Mary Celeste was this boat that supposedly, it, like, disappeared. And so one of the theories was that um, the Mary Celeste actually, um, actually was abandoned because the alcohol that they were carrying kept combusting in the chamber, or in the, yeah. in the body of the ship. But not hot enough to actually burn the ship, just enough to make like a pressure wave that scared everyone on board. It's a big loud noise. Right, and so and this mm-hmm. and the theory works because um, some of the cor- some of the some of the oak. barrels they were using, right, were a type of oak that's very porous and it actually leaks a lot of uh, alcohol. So anyway, so I was like, well, you know, yeah, alcohol enclosed alcohol in a small container, even with a very small uh, blast or a small spark, rather will spontaneously, you know, light up, but it won't get hot enough to burn anything. Or singe anything. Or singe anything. There'd be no evidence of a burning happening. So to show this, we stuck, well, we stuck, I stuck um, a piece of paper inside of a, um, basically like inside of a glass container that was sealed um, with a bunch of vodka in it. I let the vodka evaporate a bit. 
I then popped it open quick, lit a match, and it created a fireball that, like, a, it's a fireball. I make it sound way more badass than it is. A really small fireball. Um, I actually made a video of it, and I put it on YouTube. Um, it's still up there, I'm sure. I think I got, which, like... Which was enough to make Scott quiet, Scott, uh, Scott Philbrook quite bleed out of his eyes because we hadn't signed any sort of like you know insurance claim or anything like that and my my contribution was like yeah do it right 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 marie marie was egging me on and scott was like listen wait a minute do not you guys what's going on is and i'm like too late he's gone he's gone he's gone he's already on fire (laughs) yeah that so that was fun that was a good time um (laughs) Anyways, okay, so... That was fun as soon as your eyebrows grew back and you... <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, there was no... There was no, uh, no fire. There was no damage. There was no... The, nobody, nobody set fire to anything. No, no damage at all. Okay, so... Science! So Science this, set fire! So, okay, we're, no. so we're on planes. We're on planes. That's we're kind of... Planes. We're kind of on, we're planes, on planes, yeah. We're on planes. So basically, they were looking at Flight 19, which is very well known in the yeah. oeuvre of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, however, my mom, who uh, just turned 80, happy birthday, mom. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Uh, she is a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so she, you know, listens to the podcast, listens to their podcast, heard electronic fog, and then brought up this incident that happened happened in 1956, January 31st of 1956, where a plane, a B-25 bomber, so it's mm-hmm. slightly smaller than the ones in Flight 19. Um, a B-25 is got like, it's like 15 feet tall at its tallest peak and 67, uh, the wingspan is like six, 67 feet. So it still houses, it can house up to six to seven people mm-hmm. i believe like six at its tops still a pretty big plane a b-25 actually landed in the mahongahela river so just to step back in pittsburgh pittsburgh is actually at the convergence of three different rivers it's called the the three rivers area and they even had a, a football stadium called three rivers and a baseball stadium called three rivers. So it's the Allegheny, the Mahongahela and the Ohio river all come together in, in one place. Mm. And that is Pittsburgh. Um, and so they have a lot of bridges. They have a lot of waterways. Um, so in 1956 at around four o'clock, so it's very cold. Mm. This plane all of a sudden comes basically out of nowhere. It is losing altitude. It's out of gas. It's having engine problems and it lands on the Mahongahela river. Okay. So it lands all seven or all six people are able to get out of it. It takes about 15 minutes and it sinks. Okay. Four of the people survive. The plane, however, is never seen or found. It vanishes. Okay. Okay? So you've got this plane, and at the deepest, sort of the standard to the deepest point, the Mahongahela River is maybe 20 feet deep. And it goes down, so people see it coming. It clips, it almost clips one of the bridges. So it flies, if you're imagining like a Jerry Bruckheimer film, it's very dramatic. It flies, it flies almost through a bridge. Mm. It's four o'clock on January 31st, so it's a holiday, but it would still be pretty heavily trafficked in an area outside of Pittsburgh. So still not not huge, but like not a lot of people, but still, you know, mm. it's still gathering attention. So immediately they, people see it coming down. People see it land in the river. 
emergency crews are are sent out. Um, they they try and get as many people as they can. They lose two of the people, but then, like immediately afterwards on February second, they begin to try and drag the river to find this mm. B twenty five bomber. Okay, and the B twenty five bomber again. It's not a small thing. It's a it's a big it's a big plane. They can't find it. Interesting. They they, they drag the river twice. Twice. So they can't find it. So the thing the thing that I found here on this was um so just to put some kind of numbers to this. Mm-hmm. At the at the so people saw the crash and the people search. Saw the crash. And, and the, the people and the and the rescue of people from the boat. It was a widely yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. a big event. So this says um the odds so this is actually from um this is from daminteresting.com. So that's good. Stole, it stole my that would be my URL. Okay, so it says um uh the odds of finding the plane seemed pretty good. At the crash location, the river was only five hundred to a thousand feet in width. 25 mm-hmm. to 35 in depth. In comparison, a B-25 bomber is 52 feet long, 17 feet tall, and has a wingspan of 67 feet. So, like, yeah. I mean, it's... It's a plane. It could sit... <laughs> right. It could There's sit, only so many places it's going to go. Right. It could sit wide, but not necessarily deep. Right? And so if it sunk, like, yeah. on, the, on the wrong angle, the wing would fly up or whatever. What's interesting yeah. here, this is from the... This is from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. This mm-hmm. thing says the B twenty five. So this is a team of people that found it supposedly ninety five, right? Supposedly. So they. So this it's is not confirmed. So this is their theory. Their theory is that, and this is the first thing that I thought too was, um, I used to go vacationing in Pennsylvania like every summer. Mm-hmm. Me Those too. rivers are muddy, <laughs> and yeah. like. There, there's a lot of silt and there's a lot of gravel and stuff, and so there's a lot of cars as well. Like, there's well, a lot of stuff in those well, rivers. Like, I mean, it's an industrial it, town, yeah, like, and there's I, a lot of stuff in those rivers. So what especially I was, during that time frame, I so, think. Yeah. Like, so like, now, so like, what I was thinking was it sunk to the bottom and got immediately sucked up by mud or or dust or something. But not that deep. How could it be sucked up that much? Well, this is, so this is the argument that they say. They say the B twenty five is buried approximately 150 feet off the left descending bank. Of the mm-hmm. Monongahela. Monongah- the Mahongahela. The Ma- Mahongahela. Okay. The Mahongahela. <laughs> at mile point 4.9 at a place known to rivermen as Bird's Landing. Rivermen. Cool. Bird's Landing. That's not in the quote. Bird's wow. Landing was once a tie-off spot for barges. Bird's Landing was also a favorite stopping place for, quote, gravel pirates, end quote, who dredged <sighs> gravel from the river and sold it to customers along the... Monongahela, Allegheny, and Ohio rivers. It was the activities of these entrepreneurs. My grandfather, that... grandfather was a, a gravel pirate. Really? No. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, that would have been awesome. I was like, no way. My it was God, the, the, the damn it, Marie. Damn it, Marie. Some Andrew. It was the worst of the gravel pirates. It, it was. The... I, he had the look in his eye when he would sense the gravel. This is challenging. This is a challenge. <laughs> it was the activities of these entrepreneurs that created the open pit that would eventually be the burial site of the B twenty five. Somewhere hey. in that filled gra- somewhere in that filled in gravel pit, under thirty two feet of water and fifteen feet of silt, lay the remains of a B twenty five. 
But here's, so here's my but to that, is they dragged this thing twice in under two weeks. Almost immediately, like within, right after. within a day and right after. Well, the, well, I guess, I guess though, so too, like, they... How, yeah. even with the current, so I didn't do any math on how fast the current was moving and how it would take the weight of this, of this bomber down, but I don't think, like, this thing's big, it's heavy, I think it would fight the current and would just settle. Like it would just sort of the, the, um, the angle in which it would probably go down. I don't know if it would be just swept along necessarily. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just fucking weird in my opinion. So they can't find hide nor hair of it. Like even now, like they say they found it, but they haven't found it. They say, Oh, it's there. But then in 19, like 1995, they went back with some, you know, sonar equipment, still can't find it. They're talking about going back now in, in you know, the, the present day and looking for it. But it's still a mystery. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, so what was this? It was just a routine, like it's a routine flight. They were, uh, let me try and figure out where they were headed to. It was an emergency landing. So it was definitely, you know, nothing was planned. Mm-hmm. They landed. And when they landed on the water, the plane was 100%. It didn't break. So it's not like it came apart and it's in all these pieces and that's why it got swept and it's hard to find. I mean, either it's, it's, it is, you know, I know I'm not supposed to use entropy or, um, <laughs> uncertainty theory, right. I'm not supposed to use those, but it's Schrodinger's cat. It's either there or it's not. Right. Mm, yeah. It's not like Schrodinger's cat, but it's not, it's not like Schrodinger's cat. Like Schrodinger's cat. But here's the thing. It's either in there or it's not in there. Yeah. I think, I think it's you're, well, options. I think it's interesting. Like, um, so yeah, yes. I think, <laughs> so, you know, so here's the thing. wouldn't you notice people taking it out? Like, again, it's not an abandoned area. It's well trafficked. So let's, yeah. So let's, well, let's, let's like yeah. fill in there. So the, so there are conspiracy theories about this thing. Oh God, yeah. Right, when, and that's and that's the thing. That's the thing that's so interesting about this is that there's there's conspiracy theories that, like the plane. So actually, the plane I guess was going to Harrisburg, um, Pennsylvania, according to this thing from the Post Gazette. Um, but um, the thing that's really interesting with this is it. So people say that. Okay, yeah, there's aliens on board, right? That's always the good one. There's aliens on board this plane. It had secret government, I don't know, like nuclear mm-hmm. bombs or something or whatever. It was the Nazi bell. Right, it was it was der Glocker. Der Glocker. Der Glocker! So the thing that's so like, so the thing, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of silly to think that there's any conspiracy about this because it's like we lose planes all the damn time in all kinds of places. This reminds me of... Dude, we don't lose planes. This is not like this is as deep as a a little bit deeper than a swimming pool. I mean, <laughs> a really big swimming. Yeah, I mean, but no, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm so you. it's wide I'm across. So it's wide across, but it's not that deep. Like it's that's weird. I mean, uh, granted, I'll give you we lose planes all the time. But if you ran the stats for how many planes do we no yeah yeah lose yeah. in rivers yeah. Well, it's <laughs> I think I think the part that makes it really weird too is that they people saw it land it's not like it landed in the middle of the night or something it just landed and then the people got out of the plane and then like they just lost the plane mm-hmm. um yeah i think that it landed is 20 feet they're saying 20 feet 
deep. It's where it landed. It's where it landed. See, that's the thing. Like, I would, I would think that it would either have. I mean, yeah. Like the good thing with, uh, well, the good thing. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, could it have? I'm thinking of you know, like that. Again, oh god, everything goes back to The Simpsons. That episode with Lisa's uh, the log, the giant log with Lisa's face on it. Oh my god! And it tips yeah. over and it goes flying, and then it goes out to sea. I'm thinking of the same thing. Like, could this could this plane have like broken loose? And well, I'm thinking. So, where does this river lead? Right. But like. Don't you think, like, I don't know. I think it would have to go through a lot. To, well, no, well, no, no, no. Maybe no, it broke no. up. Maybe it broke I'm up with and, you. and then I'm, abso- I'm yeah. absolutely with you with that. But, no, but I'm, that's what I'm, I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, if it fell in the river, unless someone took it out of the river, it has to be in the river it or wherever the, the river, river connects to. Or, or so here, uh, they were on a routine training flight from Nellis Air Force in Nevada to pick up a cargo of airplane parts at Olmstead. Air Force Base in Harrisburg, Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, it did refuel during the cross-country flight at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma and again at Selfridge in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So it did refuel a few times. It's just strange that, too, it's like, you know, that the fuel gauge was suddenly empty and completely empty. The engine malfunctioned and there was no airstrips nearby. So um, Major William Dotson, who was piloting the plane made the decision to put it down on the Mahongahela and did survive. Mm. So I haven't really, and there's not like a lot of, you know, interviews with him after this as well, but I, I'm with you. Like maybe, maybe somehow it, it, it got sucked out to sea. I don't know. I would have to go back in. So and this, so, so this is where yeah. it, like, where does stuff lead out to? So this is from the, um, this is from the pittsburghmagazine.com website. And so this is about – this was published February 1st, 2017. so not that long ago. It's titled Search to Begin Anew for Missing B-25 in Monongahela River. Monongahela River. Awesome name. This says – The Mon. This says the B-25 recovery group headed by John Aldrich and Bob Shima believes that the plane sank in a 47-foot gravel pit at Bird's Landing, where J&L Steel Company used to secure their barges. A demolished icebreaker also rests there, which likely foiled previous attempts to search for the bomber. 61 feet years later, the gravel pit is only 32 feet deep, burying any oh, remains. Shit, do they have any in the bottom of that place? They've got, like, because I was reading, it's like, that they have... When ah, they did, uh... okay, okay, okay. Now, here's the thing. The group has received a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers to search and drill every five feet of the area during a dive tentatively scheduled for fall. The pollution of the Monongahela, which was even worse in the 50s, makes it unlikely that any of the aluminum has survived. So it fell into this polluted river and it was eaten up by acid, it sounds like. But not immediately. Not no, immediately. but... Again, like, like, there was a period of time that they were looking for that thing. This says, this says yeah. however, searchers will use a magnetometer, which can locate ferrous metals, in hopes of locating steel from the plane's landing gears, engine blocks, and oil tanks. According to Shima, an aquabiologist, the oil tanks should be about 20 feet apart, and because they're partially made of rubber, the 37 gallons of oil in each tank may still be there. Ah, so that's uh, so that's really interesting. So I guess what they're saying is that it probably, it probably fell in the river, went to this oil, this pit kind of thing, 
And then uh-huh. I guess the ground, because like, because there was another, I read another part um, the other day when you told me about this story for the first time that mm-hmm. the first time they dredged it, they actually caught onto a wing, but then they think they, they, caught, think onto they caught onto the wing, wing right? Yes. So I wonder if, yeah. They think I, they caught onto something, but they don't, again, like, because it's a river, because it's also, it's like, it's freezing cold. It's the middle of January. I mean, Pittsburgh in these conditions is fucking brutal. Right. It's like a cold. That's cold. And you're right. on the water. I mean, but it's like, to me, it's like, I don't know, within those two weeks, they should have at least been able to say, Find okay, something. it's, it's, it's here or we found something or we can conclusively say, but to walk away and be like, we have no idea. We I don't wa- know what happened I to wonder it. how bad, like what That's I'm thinking, crazy. what I'm thinking is like, if the pollution was bad enough to eat the aluminum mm-hmm. off the plane, mm-hmm. I'm thinking probably it wasn't safe for like, how long divers. ago, how long yeah. ago did we have divers? Well, yeah, I don't think you'd put the, you couldn't put them in that water anyways to find it. I mean, you it's, would have to be dealing with grappling hooks, but like, how long would it take, how long would it take for that acid to eat that plane? Like, how many years is that? It's not going to happen in like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's really great. So not only have we dogged on Missouri, but now we're going after Pittsburgh. It's not like, you know, it's like, you know, like, it's like you put your, your tooth in the Coca-Cola and it evaporates in a, you know, in a day and a half or something. I mean, you would be. You would be surprised. I, w- I don't. I don't know. It's not like two weeks. Aluminum is so. Alum- so the way that they protect aluminum from corrosion mm-hmm. is, um, they basically like anodize the outside of it. I mean, anodize- anodizing. Well, I mean, there's a couple things you could do, but um, anodizing is probably the most like the the one of the most well known ways, and that's what makes mm-hmm. aluminum like kind of pretty and shiny. Is it's anodized? It's an oxide surface on it. Which I would assume they would do with all of the bombers. Oh, they definitely That's did. Guess. That's yeah. like how they developed yeah. that technology partially um, was making military planes. Yeah. The thing that I'm thinking though is, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. I wonder if they're. I mean, we should keep an eye on it. I wonder if they're going to find anything. I don't know. You I'm know? now I'm I'm also curious about gravel pirates. Where I'm know. very I'm very concerned about the pirates stealing our gravel. I'm definitely concerned about gravel pirates. It's not um, a good look. <laughs> I like that idea. And Pittsburgh would have gravel pirates. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So no, I mean it's just like it's my favorite sort of little oddball story because it's like it's nowhere near the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, right? that's interesting. But it's like it's got a couple like to me if you just I don't know. They should have been able to find it. It should have been it should have been a known thing and they put a lot of resources towards it and nothing. Right. And still nothing. And it's you know, and that to me is like that's that's pretty interesting and very much overlooked. I had never heard of it before. My no, mom, I had I had no idea. Brought it up. I, I had no idea. I know. Really cool. Shout out Pittsburgh. Yeah, hey, if you if you're listening to this in Pittsburgh or the surrounding area or whatever, you know ah, what I mean. Hit us up. Yeah. Tell us if you've heard of this story before. Yes, it's pretty cool. Stay, don't don't go skinny dipping. No, in the don't, don't go skinny. And please tell us if we're saying that name wrong. I, I'm saying it right. You're saying I think it, I've, I've I've said so many so much wrong on your show. I have butchered <laughs> so many things. I actually think I'm getting the Mahongahela right, and I believe it is even called by the Pittsburgh natives as the Mon. Ooh, all right, making some big claims here, Marie. 
I know. I'm 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 doubling down. I'm doubling down. Not only I'm saying I'm saying the plane's gone, and you know why it's gone. And Forrest Burgess would back me up on this. Time warp. Time warp. Multiverse. Quantum event, oh. multiverse. The plane's gone. Oh no! That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. It's entropy. It was entropy, my man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, we will Absolutely. be back soon. So actually, I'm thinking I will release this one along with. I might actually tonight release the interview I did with Mick West first, because this is going to take a little bit of editing. And then, so probably midweek this will release, and then um, hopefully next weekend there will be another episode, which I am hoping to do on the various shapes of the Earth that people seem to think is is going on. So flat Earth, hollow Earth, all that good stuff. Um, Shit, hollow Earth, still my favorite. It's so funny. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I am Chris Cogswell. I'm Marie Mayhew. Thank you. Thank you. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.